Well, good morning. It's good to see you. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 18, as Dane mentioned a minute ago. If you'd turn there in your Bible with me, Psalm chapter 18, I'd appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible, you can certainly use one there in the pew rack in front of you and, uh, and follow along with God's Word. We want uh, it to be accessible to, to everybody. So if you don't have one at home, you can take that one home as a gift as well. And tomorrow morning, we'll just put a new one in this place, all right? So Psalm 18 is where we're going to be today. Um, we've been trekking through the Psalms this summer, and uh, we're kind of extending it out uh, into, this, into this fall of the Psalms as well. Uh, we're getting ready to start our next sermon series, November 3rd. You'll hear more about that as well uh, coming up. We have excited, exciting plans for that series and uh, exciting plans for Christmas because Christmas is awesome, right? I've been ready for Christmas for a long time. I, I love it. It was about December 26th. I was ready, right? So we'll go through the Psalms, and Psalm 18 is, uh, is the fourth longest psalm of the Psalter. And uh, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to take quite a while to go through. Uh, we're actually going to break this into six weeks uh, from now until the end of October. So we'll be going through this psalm and, and just seeing what David says in it uh, and, and seeing how G- David is rejoicing in God for God's deliverance. Uh, it, but it's very deep, very profound. Today, uh, we're going to just look at the first three verses. So we'll read that in a minute. We'll pray and and we'll get started, but I, I want us to, to know, you know more about this. David, David had discovered some of these great truths over his life, and, and the greatest truth he'd found is that no, no matter what force or source came against him, there was no force or source that was greater than his God, that his God was the greatest, the highest God, the higher God than anyone else, and we'll see that today, and we'll see it throughout the psalm and the psalms, uh, and this is what David's recorded here. Uh, it is the overflow of joy that comes out of David's heart as he describes how God gave him victory over all his enemies. So really important for us to understand that when we see these psalms, there are songs of lament and sadness, but it comes from the emotion of the heart being informed by the truth of God. So when someone laments or is, is sad, they're, they're proclaiming, I am sad, but I know where I need to go. I know with whom I need to be honest about my sadness. So very important for us to understand and glean that from the psalms, that this is an overflow of the heart of, of oftentimes information or truth that we have found in, the, in its pages of the Bible. Um, so we take this journey, we're going to take it for six weeks, covering all of Psalm 18, and uh, as we do that, we're not only going to just see what happened in David's life and see what David has, has used in his own life to, to give credit to God, but it's, it, Psalm 18 is bigger than just David, and David's going to realize that too, and, and here's my encouragement to you and your family. Go home, read this Psalm, read Psalm 18, the whole thing, and, and talk about it. Think about the concepts that are there, but as you get to the very end, the last verse, David, David sets up the greatest victory that we're going to see, uh, talking about the king. And it's not him, but it's his descendants, right? Because God promised in, in the Davidic covenant, the Messiah, Jesus. So he talks about the anointed one from God, and, and that is Jesus Christ. And here, here's the truth. If you're going to write anything down on your notes today, here's what I want you to understand is the truth for David and then the truth for you and I. David was giving victory. He was given victory over his enemies to make it possible for greater victories from the greater son. Not just for his life, it was for more than his life. So for you and I, how does that, how does that translate for you and I? Well, we have a life and we have ups and downs and God's there to be a rescuer from sin and, and to save us from that and to forgive us and to be our refuge, right? But more than that too, not more than that, also with that, uh, we see in our life that there are these troubles and trials and the victories that God gives us throughout our life are not victories that you and I can say, hey, look how great I am. Look at the credit I deserve for overcoming. They are victories that God gives us so we can point to the greater victory, and that's Jesus Christ. Our lives should be a testimony of what God has done 
for us and in us and through us for His glory and for somebody else to know. That's what our lives are about. We'll see that unpacked today as well. So there's victory to be had, victory to be had from Jesus, but it ultimately is victory to be had for Jesus. So he's looking out for our own good, but ultimately his own glory. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get to work in Psalm 18. Father, we are so glad to be here. Um, and, and God, I say that, and maybe we're not all glad to be here. But God, we, we come before you today, and we open your word. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would, would be amongst us, and that God, you would, you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what you have to say to us. That we would glean from your truth, from your word, from your spirit that you would challenge us and change us. God, you would convict us of sin and, God, move us to repent of our sin and, and be restored in relationship with you. God, we want to look like those who have had victory and can boast in the Son, Jesus Christ. So conform us into the image of the Son so that people would see him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm 18. We're going to read through 1 through 3 together. The title there, my, uh, my title is Praise for Deliverance. This is a praise, a song. It says, For the choir director of the servant of the Lord, David, who spoke the words of this song to the Lord on the day that the Lord rescued him from the grasp of all his enemies and from the power of Saul, he said, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, where I seek refuge. My shield and my horn of salvation, or the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. So this sets up the psalm, and it's an expression of praise, explaining to us how he's been delivered and, and where the credit goes. So today we're looking at David's rejoicing. That's the sermon title today, David's rejoicing. And we're only going to look at two different points to this. Uh, the first point is David is rejoicing, and number one, the character of God. David's rejoicing is in the character of God. And then the second point is going to be that David is rejoicing as an expression of praise, or what it says in your, your uh, notes, uh, as a response to God. So there's, we're rejoicing in the character of God, and then we're rejoicing as a response to God. Now, each, each one of these bullet, bullet points are bigger than just one, right? You knew that. I, I couldn't just give you two little bullet points today. So under point number one, we're going to have eight different things we're going to talk about. There's eight things David mentions here, characteristics of God. As he overflows with praise, as David rejoices, he's rejoicing in the character of God, and we're going to break apart every one of these characteristics. So let's look at the psalm. Uh, we're in 18. Look at verses 1 through 2. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. He starts out with my strength. What's really interesting about all these characteristics of God is they are not just lists of things for us to say, oh, look, that's, that's how God looks. That's how God is, although they are. It, too often we, we put God in a box or on a shelf or in an academic uh, bulletin and say, this is just describing God, who is indescribable, by the way. But when David talks about God, what does he say? Not just the attributes, but he says, my God. He is my God. He's my strength, my fortress, my refuge, my rock. That's, David is a, a, applying a personal relationship to God and to the characteristics of God. He can count on God, who is these things, to be those things for Him. And that's really important for, for Christ followers to understand. If, if we are a Christ follower, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have then a personal relationship with God. He's not a God that's far off. Oftentimes when I talk about uh, Jesus with people, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, what are you, evangelism, you know, we're doing evangelism. 
just having a conversation, I'll ask, who is Jesus to you? And, and, if they, and I ask that very personal question, right? To you, who is Jesus? Gives them the opportunity to say whatever they think and feel. I, I'm not going to shame them. We'll, we'll talk about it. A lot of times they say, well, he, he's, the savior of, he's the Savior of the world. Okay. If you're a Christ follower, though, and have forgiven all of your sins and made righteous by someone that said, here, I'll give it to you, but you don't deserve it. Only in faith and through your belief are you made righteous. If I asked you that question, I said to you, who is Jesus, what are you going to say? He is my Savior and Lord. You see, there's a personal thing going on there, isn't there? And, and, and that is how we separate believers and unbelievers most, most definitively. Is there a personal relationship with God or is there not? Because you can still aspire to those qualities to God or to a higher power. But if you haven't understood him personally in a relationship with him and come to believe in him in faith and trust him as a refuge, you have no personal connection to those attributes. And that's the disconnect with most of humanity. For you and I, as people who come professing, most of us believe in Christ and as our Savior, there's a personal relationship. So David uses the word my because it's deeply personal. And he's made this connection between God's character only and his heart because he's applied it personally to himself. So the first one he says is he's my strength, my strength. And what I want to do as we go through these, I want you to be thinking about, oh, by the way, I don't have it up here, um, on your notes, your sermon notes, what we've done finally after lots of talking about it, on the back side of that, there's a discussion sheet. And that discussion sheet is for you, and I'm not saying it's perfect, it just brings up some thoughts and conversation, but it's a discussion sheet for you personally, individually, to go through and ask those questions and write them down, be honest with God, or to have time with a buddy, go to coffee afterwards or lunch, or um, go with your family, go home, have a family discussion around the lunch table and talk about those things. Or maybe you're in a small group this week, a home, home Bible study, home group, bring it up, talk about it. It's for you to talk about what we've been learning here and make it just come, come to life with each other. So that, that's for you. We're going to try to do that every single week so you have something uh, in, the, in the bulletin there uh, to help you with that. Those are also, if you didn't get one, they're also available in the kiosk. There are always extras of sermon notes on the kiosk. So but today what I want us to do is you look at, and, and so it's not to be answered now. You can flip it back over to the sermon note side. Um, what, I, what I want us to think about as we go through these characteristics of God, we can apply, can we apply them to ourselves? When, when David says, he is my strength, can you trust God as your strength? And what might be the opposite of that? Well, if, if it's not really saying God is my weakness. What, he, what we would be saying in the opposite of God being my strength is that I am my strength, right? That's what we're fighting against, your strength or his strength. What do you want to do it with? And we'll see how David says, oh, God is my strength. He, he has rescued me from all my enemies because he's my strength. I didn't do it on my own. So what I'm going to do is I want us to think about that, how it may differ for each of us. But then I want us to look at ways this word may be used in Scripture to help us define what he means by it a little better. So we're going to take those terms, and it's one of those things you can do with a Strong's Concordance. Uh, by the way, if you have the, the Blue Letter Bible app, we've, we've pushed that a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, Blue Letter Bible, write it down if you haven't, don't have it. It's a free app. You can, you can download the CSB, the translation we use here, uh, and you can go read, you can read along, follow along. You can do side by side, so you have one, one translation and another translation to compare notes. Uh, but then when you kind of tap one of the verses and you want to see what the word means, you can click on concordance. You tap the verse, it brings up some selections. You can cross-reference it. Where does it, where does it say similar things in the scriptures? Or you can click on concordance. Um, and when you go to the concordance, then you can look up the word and you click on the word and it shows you all the ways it's been used in scripture. 
Because we, we kind of will get an idea of what it means based on how it's used in a sentence, right? We, that's how we kind of define words. But when the same word is used over and over, the same word with different meanings, we want to get a, a, a better picture of what is he talking about with this. By, for instance, he uses my rock twice in this list. He uses my rock twice. It means two different things. It, it has two different kind of tones of meaning. We're going to look at that today. So with my strength, are you doing it on your own? Are you, are you relying on your own ability, your own intellect, your own, your own resume to get through life? And how's that going for you? Because ultimately, we, we can be pretty strong, but ultimately it's going to lead us to despair. Because we will never be quite good enough. Even if you're close, you'll never be quite good enough. My strength, Philippians 4.13 is, is the one I chose for this. And, and Paul writes to the Philippians, he says this, uh, I, and it, he's writing to the Philippians from imprisonment, okay? So understand the this, this strength. When he's saying this, it becomes a little deeper because he's in chains for his faith, most definitely awaiting execution. He says, I'm able to do all things through him who what? Gives me strength or strengthens me. See, there's a strength from God, my God, that he will give us to do all things, to to sustain us through life. I wrote down a couple of things that maybe those areas we can talk about. Uh, God gives us strength in our life to just do life, to get up and be able to, to go through life every day without being too weary. God is our strength in, in the way we can give grace to other people. You and I are not capable on our own to give the proper amount of grace to people, amen? We will get frustrated and tired and burn out and mad and bitter, and that's how we will give grace. But through God and in His strength, we can be better at grace giving. Uh, he gives us more strength in our work and just our ability to obey Him and, 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 and live to try to be righteous and desire what He desires. He gives us strength to do that. He gives us strength in our hopes, our passions. He wells up hope with inside of us and joy by His strength. In God's strength, He gives us strength in our conflicts with other people. When there are tensions and, and it's just tough in a relationship and we're rubbing people the wrong way or they're rubbing, we can have that opportunity to, to say, wait, God, give me strength to endure this. Give me strength to restore this relationship. Give me strength to do what I don't have in my own power to really do on my own. Not only does He give us strength in our conflicts, He gives us strength in our victories. To have victories with the right perspective, that it wasn't all about you, it was about Him. The truth is we couldn't bear this burden of life alone without his power. If we tried, it would lead us to despair and it's so much pressure. But we, we do, don't we? So is God your strength. David says he's my strength. And David is a king who has pressures from everywhere. You think about a king who has advisors and chiefs of staff and generals and, and commanders and, and, and think about the, the bickering that goes on in the lower ranks and then they, that, that gets where the whispers go to the next commander in line and it goes up the chain and eventually it's shared with David. You think about the pressures around him that, that mount day in and day out and then, and then he has a forcible enemy right in front of him often. He says, you know what? I love the Lord, my strength, my strength. I couldn't, I couldn't wake up tomorrow and do it again without him being my strength. Next he says, he is my rock. My rock. And this is the first use of the word. And I, I want to I give you a little perspective of what that means. He says, my rock. Uh, it, it's indicating the cliffs and caves or places of concealment. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 6 uses this word. It says this, 
the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because of the troops uh, were in a different situation. So they hid in caves, in thickets, among rocks, in holes, and, and in cisterns. So the idea of God being his rock, when he first, this first use of the word rock, it is that, God, you are my hiding place. You are the place that I find comfort and concealment, that, that I find rest, and, and I, can, I can be with you and not be so under the microscope or so in immediate danger, but I, I find that security in you. David spent lots of times in the cliffs and in the crags of the mountains hiding, running from Saul, running from armies, running from Absalom. They were a place of security. They were a place of concealment. They were a place of safety. And that is exactly what he compares God to. That God, you are my rock. When there are all kinds of caves and crevices that I could hide in, you are my true concealment, my true safety. And, and coming from David, who wrote Psalm 23, he says, even though I what? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So David, that, that's what he's saying. God, you are my rock, even when I'm not in the rocks. That even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you're my rock. You're with me. You're my concealment. You're my protection. And it just keeps building from there. That's who God is. He says, you are my rock, God, my concealment, my safety. Next, he says, you are my fortress. And, and well, if we go back to that, that concealment, the question is, what, what are you running to? What am I running to for concealment? Most of the time, when I want to conceal something, it's kind of two different things. One, I want to conceal sin. I want to hide what I've been doing, and so I, I kind of shy away from people who might call me on it. Right? Or I just want to hide because I'm so tired and I haven't relied on him for strength, and I haven't gone to him for the, the true refuge that he is, or the true concealment that he is, that true safety that he is. I need to run to God for that and say, God, you, you're everything I need here. You are my concealment. You're on my rock. Then he says he's my fortress. This was an interesting, interesting word, and we had a conversation after first service about this. And let me, let me tell you what I want you to understand. When you look in the Strong's, the concordance, right, you look at, you look at this, this word and how it's used, you'll, you'll, it'll give you an idea of what it means per text. But it's still the same word. And for me, when I study Scripture, I don't want someone else to tell me what they think it means in that context. Let's, let's go and see how it has been used in the language it was written in so we can define it a little better and understand it. Okay? So here's, here's, what, here's another place it's used. And, and I'll just... I'll sh it's not exactly the same, but it gives us a, an idea of, of the deep relationship David had and a deep understanding David had of God as his fortress. Psalm 66.11, it says this. Here's how this word is used when it is used again. It says, you lured us into a trap. And I know, I was studying this, and I'm like, wait a minute, this can't be the right text. I clicked on something wrong, and I was trying to go back and study, and I, sure enough, you go back, and it's the same word. Fortress, or a hold, or a trap. All of those are the same word. I, he, you lured us into a trap. It's not, talking, it's not talking specifically about God. It's just, this is the situation. But that word is you. So he, this is what's interesting. When we talk about God being our fortress, you know, this is, what do you, what do you conjure up? What do you think in your mind is a fortress? Military, maybe a base, what, what over here? Protection, a hiding place, a fortress like a castle. I think of about a castle, right? What's interesting about the word trap or hold is, is it really shows the character and nature of God a little more clearly for who he is. 
Because God is a pursuing God. Who sets traps? Hunters? Pursuers, right? Right? Or, or Satan for some of us, right? But someone who pursues. So if you want to use that word, God is God as a fortress. Instead of saying, i got to run up to this high mountain place and get inside the castle and get protected, it's like we're in the middle of wherever we are, and we rest in Him as a fortress. He's like, stop right there. I, I got you. I'll build this right around you. I'll make a fortress right here, wherever you are. I am your fortress. And you think about a trap. What's a trap meant to do? It's trap, trap is meant to quickly snatch something and hold on to it. Now, that sounds bad if you're the fox. But if you're a child of God running to Him as a fortress, it sounds amazing. God, come quickly right now and hold me. Hold me safe and secure as the fortress that you are. And see how that word defines and goes bigger? It's not just, you're my fortress. Oh, wow, he's my fortress. I can run to him if I need to and try to, try to cross all that valley to get to the fortress. No, he is my fortress right here, right now. And he comes quickly. And he secures us firmly. And he holds on to us tightly as a fortress. And David David understood that. David knew that. How about you? God pursues us. And if you look back on your life, and I, I mention this often, but it's so important. Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, if you looked back at your life, you would, you would see these moments and moments and moments and circumstances and circumstances and circumstances of God showing up trying to grab hold of you without you even yelling for him. That's who God is. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. And for you and I who call out to him, guess what he does? I got you. I'm right there. I've been here. I've been waiting. And he holds on to us safe and secure because he is our fortress. So the fortress is more than just a safe place. The word means to hold on to safely and securely, swiftly. God is my fortress because he has pursued me and come to my aid, holding me secure and safe. But again, he's my fortress, which means he's my securer. He secures me. Not, well, I've seen him secure those guys and those guys and someone else had security. There has to be a personal connection to this. He is our securer, my securer. He goes next into, he says, my deliverer. You're my deliverer. And it kind of builds from this idea of fortress and securer or hold her on to her, right? My deliverer. Turn, to, turn with me to Psalm chapter 37, if you would. Psalm 37, just a couple pages to the right. We're going to look at verse 40. My deliverer. There really is, in all of these, a, a connection to, to faith. A connection to you and I exhibiting a trust and faith in God to be exactly who He is, but to do it for me. And when He says, my deliverer, verse 37, or sorry, verse 40 of chapter 37, it says, the Lord helps and delivers them. There's our word. Helps and delivers them, saves them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them. You see that verbiage there? There's a rescue. I'm, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to grab you and save you. Why? Look at the last part of that verse. Because they take refuge in Him. Because they take refuge in Him. 
Interesting, as you look up this idea of taking refuge, what this means, and you see this, you saw this when we talked about Ruth. I think Boaz was describing Ruth in the way that she had come to the Lord and, and she, they, she had sought safety under the shadow of his wings. Right? That's the idea of the refuge we see in Scripture. We see it a lot of places. And this idea of taking refuge is actually, for us, a leap of faith. It's that step of, we, we say leap of faith because leap of faith means, well, it's, it's not informed. It's just a leap, a blind leap. No, our, our step of faith, our trust in God, it, it is proven over and over and over and over. And if we really were honest and took a look at the, our own past, we'd see him show up. And if we couldn't see him there, we could certainly look around at people around us and absolutely see how God has shown up. Amen? It, it is not a blind leap of faith, but it is, a, it is a step of faith. It is for him, understanding he's my deliverer, for, for him to be my deliverer. See, the Bible says that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. We, we've missed the mark. We can never measure up to how holy and perfect and pure God is. And it's, the Bible says the wages of those sins is death. That you and I would be separated from, from, forever from God. That verse goes on to say, not only the wages of sin, death, it says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's amazing. What we deserve, we, won't, we don't have to get because there's a free gift being handed to us. But just like any gift given... It cannot be fully enjoyed until you reach out and you grab it and you make it your own. And see, that's what it is to, to step in under the shadow of his wings or to, to seek him as a refuge. If we really want him to deliver us from our sin, if we really want him to rescue us, that we're clean and safe and secure and forgiven and have a righteousness that we never should have had in the first place, but it's all about him, we have to go and say, I believe, I trust. I am, I am trusting you in faith that you are who you are, and I know I'm bad. But you are the deliverer. And when we take that step of faith in the refuge of God under the shadow of his wings and the forgiveness that he offers, he becomes my deliverer. You know what he most delivered me from? Myself. My sin. Now certainly David is... He knows that. He knows that eternally. He knows that um, uh, spiritually with his soul. But he also has seen that with his enemies. That God is more than just a deliverer for his soul. He can step, step out in faith and trust God. How many stories have we seen where someone goes with too many people or too few people with too few weapons and wipes out an army because they trusted God? God was continually going before his people and God will continue to go before you and I. But overarching the deliverance of physical peril is the fact that God has sent his son to deliver us from our eternal peril. And Jesus has accomplished all the work necessary to be the refuge that he is. What you and I have to do is step out in faith with him, that he would become our deliverer. So deliverer builds upon this description as God, of God as a fortress who pursues us and, and holds on to us safely and securely and swiftly. But it builds more than that. It's this, this idea or this picture that, that when we're almost ready to be captured by the mighty hand of the enemy, and it feels mighty sometimes, doesn't it? That the enemy is, is tough. He is tough. When we almost feel like we're going to be captured by the mighty hand of the enemy, God proves himself to be mightier. That's what the deliverer does. He says, you might, you might get a little bit of an upper hand on those guys, but ultimately he says, Satan, I, I win. I, I'm, I'm way bigger than you. I, you were once an angel that I created. You fell from heaven. Yes, you have dominion on the, on the earth, but one day you will be in your rightful place in hell and God will one day win. 
God is our deliverer. And he goes on, he says, he's my God. He's my God. The term used is El, the name for God is El. It's the mighty one or mighty God or the God. It's, it's a name used to, to differentiate God from all the other little G gods. I, I used this uh, several weeks ago when talking about how my son loves superheroes. It's like saying God is my ultimate superhero. He is the superhero of superheroes, better than all of them. And if you guys had it more Marvel and DC and you don't have a fight about who's better, it's Superman, hands down. But anyway, no. <laughs> my son would say it's the Incredible Hulk. And actually, it's neat because he has now differentiated L, God, from the Incredible Hulk. I love it. He's, <laughs> now we have our standard of measurement is, can Daddy lift it? Can the Hulk lift it? And if Daddy and the Hulk can't do it, well, God can. God's bigger than the Hulk. So it's, it's cool he understands that. Mighty God. He says he's my God. He's my mighty God. Personal, right? He's not just saying, and here's the deal. Here's the information form of this. Information would say, he's the, high, the higher power. Right? We seek out our higher power. Or the, there is a higher power. A lot of people even acknowledge that oh, there's a higher power. Yeah, we know who it is. It's El. It's Jehovah. It's Yahweh God. That's who he is. El. Highest God. Mighty God. So it's not just enough to have the information. It's to have that heart connection, isn't it? We need to connect it to our heart and say, He is my God, and I know who He is. He's revealed Himself to me. Now turn to Psalm chapter 90 with me. I want us to continue looking at some of the Psalms and how this word is used, God, in Psalms. By the way, these attributes, these characteristics of God that we see in the first three verses here in Psalm 18 are pretty much the similar, same, same characteristics that are seen throughout the Psalms. This is how God is described. However, it's not an inclusive list of all of the characteristics of God in Scripture, right? There are certainly tons of names of God that, that continue to build on who He is. But we find a lot of these in the Psalms. Um, so we're in uh, Psalm 90, right? And we're looking at verse 2. Look at verse 1 and 2. Lord, You have been our refuge, right? The place we can trust in, and be under the shadow of Your wing, right? It's for safety. In every generation. He's like, You've been our refuge in every generation. It wasn't just for a short time or for, short, for a short season or for some of the par our parents and, and, or the grandparents. It is for every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. That word for God, L. Same word David's using. You are the mighty God. You are the God. And he's describing this, isn't he? He's saying, before mountains were born, from generation to generation, before the mountains, before the earth, before all of it came into existence, from eternity to eternity. There hasn't, there hasn't been a time where you haven't been the God of the universe ever. He is the God. And, and he ascribes that name to God and says, you are the God. You are eternal. You are infinite. You are unchanging. And with your eternality, you are eternally good as well. David calls him his mighty hero who is eternal and unchanging. The God who is above every God. There are lots of gods out there. And for you and I, we even talked about the Lord, during the Lord's Prayer series, we talked about this, you know, our Father in heaven. Do we actually ascribe him that and believe that he's a Father who is in heaven and that his name, he is holy and that we want to do his will and, his, and see what is in heaven? I want, to, I want to do that here and obey it here. Like when we say, my God, like David says, he's my God, we are saying, God, I am submitting and surrendering to you. I am casting away any idol or anything else I would have 
raised up as God that would be higher than you, because there is nothing that's higher than you, you win both now and forever. Not only in in the world, but in my life too. It's personal. Then he goes on, he says, he is my rock, my rock. He's using it again, using, using the same, not the same word, it's, it says the rock, but, or my rock, it's a different word. My rock, and this one is, is more of an idea of a firmness, or it's immovable and a powerful footing. Uh, there are many similarities, by the way. If you look at the scriptures and, and you see all the times these words are used, there are a lot of them that are pretty similar, but there are little bits that differentiate. The first one is differentiated by, it's more of a hiding place, more of a crevice, more of the place that you're going to, to find concealment. The second one has more to do with, with being the rock that we can stand on, being a firm footing and firm foundation. Turn with me to Isaiah. It's just back behind Psalms a little bit. Isaiah chapter 44. We'll see how this word is used there and, and the impact it has on those around. Isaiah chapter 44, and we're going to look at verse 8. So and this is the Lord speaking, right, through Isaiah. Verse 8 says, Do not be startled or afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I do not know any. This is God speaking. It's almost humorous. God's like, is there anyone else? Because I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone that's stronger or bigger than me. I'm the fastest and the biggest and the strongest. But what does it say? It says, there is no other rock. This is, this is the word, the same word that's used the second time in Psalm 18 to say he is my rock. What, what is this rock doing in this passage? He says, because I am the rock, there is no other rock. Uh, I, the rock, because of me, you do not have to be what? Startled or afraid. You don't have to be startled or afraid. It, it, it makes a sure footing for us. You know, when we get into loose soil and we start walking in, in areas that we don't really aren't sure of, we're unsure of our steps, that causes fear inside our hearts, doesn't it? But when we have a firm foundation, a firm footing, we can see where our step, next step is going to be because God's God is what? A light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. When He is the rock, we can stand secure on a firm foundation that is God. He is the rock. So for you and me, what's the, qu- the question is, how's our footing? How's our footing? Have we lost our footing? This is a, a theme we've seen in, in chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18 now. This firmness, this foundation that our feet shouldn't have to slip because we know the rock. We know God. He goes on. The, the word is, is different here, right? We said than previously, here it means to be unchanging eternal confidence support that's how god is he's unchanging we can we can always go back expecting the same thing from him every time we know who he is he he, this is who he said he is this is what he's promised he's going to do we can take that to the bank in everything else in the world everyone else every other dealing we have they can be very unsure even with your best friend even the person you trust the most there will be a day where they let you down God will never let you down. God would never disappoint. God will always be a firm 
foundation. The next one he says, he says, my shield. You are my shield, God. You know what this means? He's your shield. So it says. <laughs> He's a shield, right? You, you grab a shield and you, you deflect the blows from the, from the devil or from the enemy, the swords or the spears or the, or the flaming arrows that come in. But I found one spot I, I thought really connected well because I just know there's such, a, such an attack from the enemy on our minds. There's such a, an attack on the enemy for our thoughts. Here's what God gives us truth. And what does Satan do? Satan counterfeits the truth. God gives us truth and, and, and Satan makes it a little foggy and fuzzy and maybe a reflection that's different. We can't quite clearly see it. But God gives us the truth while Satan wants to mess with our minds. How many of your battles over sin have been won by Satan in your mind first? All of them. That shield that we need, it's more than just fend off a sword. Turn to Proverbs chapter, chapter 30. Right after Psalms. We're in Psalm chapter, or I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to look at verse 5. I want us to get this picture of this connection between what, what is God's shield for us. It's not just this, but I really think this is where the battle is, is won. Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says this. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. There is no false motive. There is no pretense. There is no confusion. He's not trying to make it cloudy and confusing. He is pure, and what he says is pure and true, and he's given that to you and to me. Every word of the Lord is pure. Then it says, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. See the connection this proverb makes between shield and the word of God? Every word of God is pure, making it a shield for those who take refuge in Him. What does Scripture tell us to do when we, when we have those thoughts come in, those counterfeit thoughts and those lies come in? What does it tell us to do? Go to the Word. What does it say? Jesus was, was fasting and in the desert, in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. And Satan came up and tempted Him with the counterfeit truth, but even with His own words. And how did, how did Jesus reply? With the, Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord is pure. This is what I can believe. This is what is true. This is the shield for my mind. This is the shield for temptation. I will use it. He surrendered to God's word. He surrendered to God's will. Right In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's sweating like drops of blood under the anguish and anxiety of facing the cross. He goes to the Father and says, I don't know about this. Probably tempted, right? He told his disciples, pray, lest we fall into temptation. right? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes to the Father in prayer and says, God, I, this is, I don't know about this. This counterfeit thing sounds a little better. But not my will be done. Your will be done. I want your will and I want your perfect, pure word to inform my every thought. I want, I want, I want to be able to, the Scripture says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I want to trust in God and, 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 and go to Him in prayer so that as I do, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. 
You know, our, our nation, not only our nation, the world is seeing this huge increase, not only in talk of, but in, in cases of mental illness all around. And I, I wonder at times, how, how do we defeat this? How, I mean, this is, because you see it so rampant, you see it in even the lives of friends and family that we, we know love Jesus. For me, the only answer, the only answer is the Word of God. I mean, certainly there could be chemical imbalances and medical issues we need to take care of, but when it comes to the thoughts and the mind and taking every thought captive, we have to continually fight it with the Word and let Him be the shield around us until Jesus comes back. That's what we do. And then either we go to see Him, like our sister Donna did, or He comes back and grabs us all back and we are all made whole then. And although we know in part now, we will know fully then. And although we're, we only are known in part now, we will be fully known then, face to face with Jesus. He is a shield, my shield. Next he says, he is the horn of my salvation, the horn of my salvation. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's a good one. They're all good. Who am I, who am I kidding? 1 Samuel chapter 2. While you're turning there, I, I, I'm a, I love the Lord of the Rings. Love, love, love the Lord of the Rings. Fun movie. Great, great story. Some under, underlying biblical content and, and things you can see about Jesus and God. It's awesome. But the battle scenes are intense, right? And you see these, these huge battles in that, that have happened throughout the world history. And the scale is just massive. And, and when you look at the horn of my salvation, I always think of like the calls, the horns they use to, to call out forward, forward march, right? And you remember, like, you're, you're there, and think about this, think about being in, the, in this battle, because this is going to help us understand horn of my salvation a, a, little, a little more clearly. It's still a little ambiguous. But you think about horn of my salvation, you think you're, you're in this battle, you're in this line, and you have all these soldiers behind you, in front of you, to your right and to your left, and you're standing there, and you're waiting. You know there's going to be a clash, right? And then you hear it, right? Whatever, whatever it is, right? And did your hair on the back of your neck stand up? Like, oh, man. It's about to get real. What does that mean? It means they're coming. There is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Not just a force that's over there. It is on its way. Probably heavy cavalry is riding towards us right now to flatten us. That horn goes off. and I still have chills right now. I still have chills. Man, I would love to have one of those horns. That would be so cool. <laughs> right? Uh, Sunday, Sunday morning about 8.15, we'll blow it. Rawr, it's time for church, right? Oh, that'd be so cool. I've watched too many, too many movies. First Samuel chapter 2, I want, I want us to see this force, the spiritual side of, of God, who is the force to be reckoned with, amen? Amen? Can I get a bugle for that or a horn? No. So he is the horn of my salvation. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 10. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to His King. He will lift up the horn of His anointed. Man, there's power in that. You talk about God being the horn of our salvation. Here's what it is. It means that when you're sitting there in the battlefield and the horn goes off, it's on your side. And you're going forward. And guess who's going before you? God is. God is going before you. As, as he says, he is the horn of my salvation. He is the, the powerhouse that I follow. He is the one that, that will bring a reckoning to everyone. So I am on his team. I'm picking his side, not the other side. 
He is the horn of my salvation. His power, as mighty as it is to judge the nations and rule with an iron scepter, it's powerful enough to, to look at me individually and stop and pause and pull me up and save me and rescue me. So I will follow the Lord. I, I thought about this a little bit as we, you're thinking about the horn of my salvation. I'm going to go back to Psalms real quick. And, I, and last week we talked about Psalm 17. And it brought to mind this week as I talked about the horn of salvation, it brought to mind much of what we learned last week from Psalm 17. And it was the last part of this because this force to be reckoned with is, is a force that says, I've got you. No matter what happens, I've got you. But more than that, see, we, we like to say it that way. No matter what happens, I've got you. It almost puts us in this place of, oh, well, he'll always, he'll always deliver me from my enemies. That's not always true. No matter what happens to you, I've got you. That's what God is saying. He's not going to promise deliverance from every enemy we face. But he'll promise del deliverance from the enemy, from Satan, from sin, from death, from ourselves, and eternity with him. So Psalm 17, as we looked at that, I just want to read the last little part. Uh, David was really upset about these, the world being the world and getting what they wanted. He says, finally, he says, you know, save me, Lord, from these men, from men of the world whose portion is this life. And, and I, I love that because it says whose portion is in this life and is this life. He's saying whatever they want right now in this life, they might get. But let that be all they get. Why? Because but I, I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied in your presence. They will not awake and be satisfied in God's presence because he was not the horn of their salvation. For you and I, he is the horn of our salvation, mighty and powerful to save. And you and I can be assured that he alone will satisfy us above everything else and hold us safe and secure with him forever. He is the horn of my salvation. Finally, he says, he is my stronghold, my stronghold. Isaiah 33, uh, 16 says this, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be a rocky fortress. His food provided for, his water assured. The idea of stronghold is like there's this place out of reach of the enemy, both in height and, and distance, but also in time. That God is not only going to safely secure me right now, that security will last and last and last. It's like if you're a major prepper or if you're in a stronghold of a castle, right? The stronghold, the hold, if you went to the hold, it was out of reach of the enemy and you had lines of, of supply coming somewhere or at least you were supplied for enough time where you were provided for. That's what he's saying. God, God's my stronghold. Not only am I safe, I'm provided for. He'll take care of me. He'll, he'll settle me. He'll, he'll secure me. That's what God is going to do. He's going to be my stronghold. It's also translated as high tower or strong tower. And from this position, it's, it's that place we can look down at our enemies from a safe range, that, and, and we we're safe and secure in the hands of the, of the Lord. And even though they're raging out there and they're shouting and they're blowing their horn, they have nothing on God. And we have the grace and mercy of God securing us in his stronghold. He becomes our stronghold. Well, that was number one. Let's go to number two. It'll be a quick one. Ready? Number two, David's, David's rejoicing is a response to God. So we, we had to set it up. What is he seeing in God? And that's what we just showed, us, showed ourselves, right? We've seen all these eight things that, 
David has seen in God, the characteristics of God, and then he, he rejoices as a response to God. And, and this, this psalm, Psalm 18, is actually basically verbatim what we see in 2 Samuel chapter 22, when David's prayer of thanksgiving, his song of thanksgiving. He says, I, thank you, God, for helping me with my enemies. But there's one little difference at the, at the beginning and one little difference at the end, and we're going to take a look at the beginning uh, today, the difference there. So in, in Psalm 22, it doesn't start out this way. David says this in Psalm 18. Sorry, in 2 Samuel 22. In Psalm 18, he says this, I love you, Lord, my strength. 2 Samuel doesn't have that. You know, there's a stirring over time in his heart, a, a, a place he's like, you know, I, I need to understand, and I need to know, I need hearers to know as they sing this for worship, that we have a deep love for God because of who he is. I love you, Lord, my rock. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, where I to my trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord, and he answered, or he's worthy of praise, and, and I was saved from my enemies. So what does it mean to love him? This word uh, here implies a strong affection, so strong, in fact, that it's like the clinging affection of a child to the parent or of a spouse to a spouse. This clinging affection. Do you understand that, that deep cling? There's like a neediness in it and a contentment in it and this deep emotional connection that comes with it. It's an overflow of the heart, a welling up. It's, it's one of those things, it's that love that, that a parent has when they first hold their child. It's like it just wants to, you want to bring, be brought to tears, right? I still look at my kids on days and I, I'm, almost, I'm like, I can't cry, I don't want to cry, I don't want to cry. Because I love them so deeply and I don't know where that comes from except from God. David's saying that same word, that same love is there. He's saying, this is, I love God so deeply, so intently because of who he is and has been and is and is going to be as well. Love. Most of us think this would be a no-brainer. Of course we love God. Man, look what he's done. and We love God. And most of us do deeply love God. But there are people, many people, who do not love God, even though he showed up, even though he's rescued them from danger. Many people have have experienced wonderful answers to prayer, actual prayers they've said to God, and they have heard God speak, and they, he answered, he's like, okay, good, thanks, God, and then they went on, and there was no affection for God from that. Loving God, listen, loving God in this way is the one unmistakable mark of God's people. It is not enough to, to know a bunch about God. It's not enough to, to have a list of things God has done. We must let that inform our heart towards God. Paul says in Corinthians, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. And that's what it is. It is a curse to attribute to God all these qualities and characteristics and thankfulness and even prayer, but never acknowledge him out of love and say, my love, my devotion is, is towards you. How do we know we love God? Well, we obey what he commands. That's what scripture says. We love God. Next part, he says, that he's my, I've made him my refuge. I'll seek you as a refuge, right? My rock where I seek refuge. So the second part of this idea of, of uh, a response to God is I'm going to trust him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to trust him as a refuge. Psalm 511 says, But all who, let, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them, and may those who love your name boast about you. There's the love right there, there's the trust and refuge right there, and there's rejoicing all wrapped up right there. But ultimately it comes down to my response from who God is 
and I trust him and I lift him up and I elevate him above everything else. I boast about him. Our faith is built as we trust God as our refuge. And our faith will continue to be built through this life as we have ups and downs, hills and valleys, times of security and times of of insecurity, but we can trust in him as our refuge. So we love him, we trust him, and finally we praise him. We praise him. We lift him up. I know there's times in my life I, I'm, I'm in the worship time and I'm, I'm not singing. Most of the time I'm meditating on God's word as it's sung to me because I need that. I need that truth to hit my heart. But I tell you what, I love to sing. I love to let overflow of love and trust and faith spill out in word. Whether it's good or not, I just want to let it rip. I want, I want God to know it comes from here. We're called to praise him. Last passage, turn to Revelation chapter 5. Oh boy. Oh boy, someone said, uh oh. oh. <laughs> Revelation. This is how the sermon ends. <laughs> That's good stuff. Revelation chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13 together. The idea of praising him. See, David, David could fight the battle in the middle of, of the battle and praise him. He could praise him beforehand, and, he, and, and we need to praise him after as well. It's, 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 it's both and. It's not only did David call on the Lord and praise, and then God answered. God, David was a man who continually praised God during and after the victory had been won. So let's look at this victory being won for us. Revelation chapter 5, verses 12 and 13 says this. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and blessing. Amen? Worthy is the Lamb. He is the worthy one. We boast about Him. We make His name great. It says, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to the one seated on the throne, and unto the Lamb, forever and ever. Because of who God is, Sorry, who God was, who God is, and who we know God will be, we will praise him forever. David had such a deep faith that he could fight his battles singing to God and see victory with a song on his lips. But it was more than that. He was given, he was given victory. Like I said earlier, David was given victory to make the greater victory possible. The Messiah would come. And that greater victory is what you and I celebrate today. And that greater victory, I know, had to be on his lips as he fought in the middle of those battles. God's going to give victory because God is going to be victorious one day. And it should be that way for us too. Every, every, every hardship, every hurt in our life, every struggle in our life is one of those opportunities that God has for, to do something for his glory in that time. Whether we have an actual victory from our enemies or we don't, God wants to be glorified. And God will receive the glory. So in those victories that we do have, we need to make sure those victories are for a greater victory. God, see, God's doing things for our good, but ultimately He does things for His glory. Past, present, and future. It's all about us relying on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ to one day rule it all and rescue us from everything. Amen? That is Psalm 18, 1 through 3. Let's stand in prayer.
Father, your word is, is so powerful, and we are so thankful for it. And God, as we've gone to it today, I, I pray that you would help us understand and, and well up in our heart a deeper understanding and longing for you not only to be listed as these characteristics, but to be those characteristics for us personally, that you would be ours, our refuge, our strength, our rock, our shield, our deliverer, our fortress. God, you would be ours. And God, out of that knowing who you are, out of that strength in you, we should respond. So help us respond with love, a clinging love, an intense love for you, a devotion to you. God, help us trust you as our only refuge. And God, let us glorify you, praise you for what you've done, what you're doing, and God, what you will continue to do forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is our opportunity to respond right now.